Business is personal. This may be the first time in your career where you have the ultimate power to make decisions. You, and you'll be making decisions that will either move you forward or keep you stuck in, in neutral. It's the Living Freelance Podcast with Randy Strew. Thanks for joining episode two of the Living Freelance Podcast. When I was about to become a father, my wife bought me a book on fatherhood. Quite apart from the standard what to expect fare, this book was a survival manual for the first time dad. It showed me how to deal with both challenges I expected and, to be honest, those challenges I hadn't even thought about. It was hands down the most valuable book I've read on parenthood and one I recommend to and buy as a gift for my friends and family when they're expecting for the first time. If I had one wish when it came to my freelance career, it would be that I had found a similar book on that subject before I started freelancing full-time. As it turns out, there is one. The Self-Employment Survival Guide by freelance ghostwriter Gene Yoakum has just been released, and it's full of great information, whether you're just starting out as a freelancer, considering taking the leap, or have been working on your own for a while now. I'm thrilled to have Gene joining the Living Freelance Podcast today to talk about some of the biggest challenges we face as gig workers and what I think is key to starting your freelance career off on the right foot, and that is going into it with the right mindset. What does that mean? We'll talk about that and more with Gene Yoakum next on the Living Freelance Podcast. Find us on Facebook at the Living Freelance Podcast. Business is personal. Well, thanks for joining us on the Living Freelance Podcast. I'm Randy Strew, and uh, with me today, as I mentioned, is Jean Yoakum, the author of the Self-Employment Survival Guide. She is also a, uh, a blogger, and we're going to talk a little bit more about both of those things uh, coming up in just a few moments. She is a, a freelance ghostwriter. She's an author. I mentioned the blogging, and I'm thrilled that she can join us today. Jean, welcome. Thank you very much, Randy. Uh, now, now, how long have you been a freelance writer? I did my first stint of freelancing back in around 1985-86, for about 18 months, and I made a, the rookie mistake that so many people made. I had success fairly early on because I knew a lot of people who could use my uh, writing skills, and I burned myself out very quickly. I remember that in the summer of 1986, oh. I didn't take a day off. I didn't necessarily work eight or ten hours every day, but even on Saturdays and Sundays, I was doing some work. And at the time, I happened to live in a one-bedroom condo in, in Boston's Back Bay, and my desk with my computer was right beside my bed. So anytime I woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't get back to sleep, I would get up and start writing. So at the end of this, I was just fried, and um, that's one thing people need to be aware of. You just can't burn yourself out like that. So during that period, I was doing a lot of work for a PR agency in Boston, and every six months they would offer me a full-time job. And I, every six, the first couple of times I turned it down, and every time they would offer it to me again, the salary would be higher and the job title would be a little bit more impressive. And so finally when they came to me in the fall of 86, after I had done this uh, burnout on myself, the salary was enough, and it seemed so attractive just to go to work for somebody from 9 to 5 and, and then come home and not have to work on the weekends and so forth, that I took the job. And I stayed there for three years um, until I, uh, as I explained in the introduction to my book, what happened there, I was very dissatisfied overall. There were some days I, I basically consider myself a writer at heart, and there were days I was managing people. And there were days that I never turned on my computer to write anything. So I was very unhappy. 
So the day after Labor Day in 1989, I went in and tendered my resignation, and I started my freelance career back up on October 1st, 1989, and that's what I've been doing ever since. So a long, long time oh, okay. is the short answer to what you're asking me. <laughs> okay. So, so you've got quite a bit of experience as, as a freelancer, as a, uh, kind of living the life and doing it, doing it your way, I guess. Um, so when did you decide to sort of turn that into writing for other freelancers with your blog and with uh, your new book that I've got and a couple of other books you've written? Um, when did you decide to kind of share your, your wealth of knowledge? Well, most of the time... Uh, of my career. Well, let's go back. For the first 10 years of my career, I was offering public relations services and event management. And I reached a point in the late 90s where I thought, if I just have to spend the rest of my career writing press releases and ghostwriting short articles um, for things like the Boston Business Journal and uh, trade publications and that sort of thing that I was doing for my clients, that I wasn't uh, I was kind of tired of that and, and wanted a, a bigger intellectual challenge. So in 1999, I convinced one of my clients that we should write a book together because that, instead of writing a two-page press release, writing, having to write 60,000 words for a book was a much bigger challenge and something I knew that would hold my interest. And I knew that if I wanted to become a ghostwriter, I had to have my name on a book somewhere so people would think, so people would really understand that, yes, she's capable of writing a book for me. So Mark Siebel, who was an um, innovation consultant in Boston, he was my client, and I convinced him that we could do this. So we wrote a proposal, and we sold the book, and then we wrote the book. And so Band the Humorous Bazooka came out with my name as the co-author. And from there... I just I was able to then get other assignments, ghostwriting business books for people. The the minute that my that book came out, people started asking me, uh, friends and then just people that I met started asking me when I was going to write my own book. And I always said that I really don't feel that I have a book in me. There's nothing that I'm dying to write about. And I really enjoy the collaborative um, experience that goes with being a ghostwriter because you're, you're working with somebody else and you can bounce ideas back at each other and so forth. And I just have always enjoyed that type of collaboration. So I couldn't see myself really writing something on my own. Then in 2010, I had an opportunity to start writing blog posts for the Springfield Republican um, that's the major newspaper in Springfield, um, Massachusetts, where I, near where I was living at that point. And I started writing uh, posts for their business blog. And, I felt, and they had my name on it. And this was one of the first times in my career that something was actually published and put in front of the public that had my name on it and only my name on it. You know, I wasn't co-authoring. I was, it was me and my ideas. And after doing that for a few months, I realized I really liked it. So I started my blog, SucceedingInSmallBusiness.com, and started writing for there. So, and at some point, I started writing posts that were about the perils of self-employment. And when I would put those up, I would get a big response to them. Uh, people had recognized themselves in some of the things I was writing about and had gone through similar experiences and so forth. And after I had done a few of those, I realized that that could be turned into a book. So that was the genesis of the uh, self-employment survival guide. You uh, you, you mentioned uh, in your book um, 
the the sort of right mindset uh, for freelancing. In fact, you, you talk in your book quite a bit about having the right mindset for freelancing. Um, what does that look like, having the right, having that right mindset? Well, I people always ask me, do you think that anybody can be self-employed? And the fact is, although I don't want to discourage anybody, and I say this in my book, I'm not trying to discourage anybody. I think you have to go into it with your eyes wide open. And there are a lot of books out there that make being self-employed and freelancing seem like it's uh, a bed of uh, roses, but it's really not. I love it. I would never have uh, done anything else. It's the best thing I've done for my career. I've been very happy most of the time, but there are perils that come up. And so I think you have to look at, take a hard look at yourself and see whether you have the characteristics that are going to make you a success and whether you can perhaps do some work on yourself and move you towards that. One of them is persistence. If you're somebody who is easily uh, discouraged and who can't take no for an answer, that, that if you keep hearing no from people, you'll, you'll get discouraged and give up, you're not going to make it in freelancing. Wouldn't, would you agree with that? Is that your experience? Oh, very much. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm a part of an online um, group of freelancers through one of the websites that I work through, and um, that's one of those things that comes up quite often as well. You know, I've sent out six or seven uh, bids on projects, and I'm just not hearing anything. You know, is is there something wrong? Am I not doing something right? Is that? And it's like, well, you just be patient. <laughs> you know, right. You right. A lot. Right. 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 And every client is not right for you, and you're not right for every client. And, um, yeah. you know, sometimes you have to go through a lot of turndowns before something really comes up that will be the best thing for you. So if you're not persistent, if you're very easily discouraged, then this isn't the life for you. Uh, along with that goes decisiveness. This may be, I write about this in the very first chapter of the book, this may be the first time in your career where you have the ultimate power to make decisions. You, and you'll be making decisions that will either move you forward or keep you stuck in, in neutral or maybe even going in reverse almost every day. You're choosing what networking events to go to. You're choosing how to price your services. You're choosing what of the stack of work you have in front of you, what it is you're going to do that day, um, and all that type of stuff. And if you're not a decisive person and making decisions is painful for you, um, this is going to be a, a long, long road for you. There are people who have to research everything to death. If they're not 100% convinced that they're about to make the right decision, they don't make any decision, which, as we all know, if you don't make any decision, you're really making a decision. You're making a decision not to do something right. to, that might move your, yourself forward. The other thing is you have to have a certain level of assertiveness. There will come a time when somebody doesn't pay you on time, and you have to be willing to send off that email that reminds them gently, and if that doesn't work, then you have to be willing to pick up the phone and say, hey, why aren't you paying me? Can we put together a, a, a plan here so that you, don't, you can pay me part of the time and so forth, but I need to be paid? If you're not somebody who can demand and ask for what it is that you've earned and that you deserve and that this person has promised to give to you, then this is, again, this is going to be a long road. I also think one of the biggest things is optimism. I'm a very, by nature, just a very optimistic person. So when one door slams in my face, I've always felt, okay, 
Perhaps that was for the best. The next door that I come to is probably going to open, and I've found that to be true in, in throughout my career. When I, everybody loses clients. That's going to happen. Things will happen within a business that, that you're working for that you have no control over, and they'll say the, the ultimate um, thing is people say, well, we've decided to go in a new direction. I, I have no idea what that ever means, but that happens, <laughs> and I'm sure that's happened to you. Um, but, you know, new people come in and they want to bring in their vendors and so forth, the vendors that they've worked with for a long time, so you're at the door, and it can hurt. And you can start to feel very pessimistic. But what I found in my career was when um, something like that happens, almost invariably the next person who comes to you or comes to you very shortly there, someone comes to you very shortly thereafter, who is an even better client than that person was. So you have to keep an optimistic outlook and so forth, because if you're always gloom and doom, first of all, people will sense that in you. And who wants to hire somebody that comes in looking like you know the sky is falling and so forth? Um, another issue is self-motivation. People, since the first day I was freelancing, people have asked me, how do you stay motivated? And I've, I've gathered from this that so many people have asked me this that I've gathered that a lot of people don't think they have enough uh, self-motivation to be self-employed. I've always given people kind of like a glib answer, but it's, it's somewhat true. I've always said, well, what motivates me is when the mortgage bill comes in, and I know that I have to pay that. You have to, you know, you realize, and, and all these other bills that come in, nobody else has got to pay it. For most of my career, up until a couple of years ago, I was single and self-employed, so I had no fallback position. Nobody else was going to pay that mortgage. Nobody else was going to pay that that phone bill, that electric bill, that water bill, uh, and that credit card bill. So that's, you know, and it may sound glib, but in a way it's true. And so it's really important um, along with that is to really like what you're doing because if you have to get out of bed every day and start to do something on your own, that nobody else is urging you to do. No boss is sort of there saying, um, Jane, you have to do that, or Bill, you have to do that today. I'm expecting to see that at the end of the day. Um, if you don't like what it is you're doing, then I think self-motivation will be very, very difficult. So before you step out on this limb of self-employment and freelancing, be very, very sure that you like what you're doing. And I think those things are yeah. sort of some of the, the chief things that you need to have. Sure. And, uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right on that. I, um, I, I've kind of told people along the same lines, you know, um, if you really want to be self-employed, first find something that you love to do and then find people who will pay you to do it. Exactly. Exactly. It's amazing what people will pay you to do. I guess it would be one way to look at it. So, uh, so there, you know, there's, there's a, uh, as they used to say about getting married, there's a lid for every pot. I just think, you know, there's, I mean, people make great careers out of dog walking, for heaven's sakes, or um, just all kinds of things. So don't limit your thinking, but what what is it that makes you happy? I've known since I was in junior high that I was going to be a writer of some sort. Now, what that was that I was going to write changed over the years as I went through college and so forth. For a long time, I thought I'd be in advertising, and um, I ended up not doing that. And um, so, you know, but there's something that, that makes you happy, that turns you on, and that you think you're good at. And whatever that is, you can probably turn that into a freelance career in one way or the other. Yeah, I spent uh, I spent 14 years in radio, and I always said, you know, if I ever lose my job, 
I don't actually have any other life skills, so I, I might be done. <laughs> and, um, you know, fortunately, there are enough people out there who will actually just pay me to open my mouth that uh, right, right. I can make a living at it. But, um, you yeah, know, it, it is. You mentioned something else earlier, uh, optimism. Um, and I, I, I wanted to kind of touch on that because probably one of the biggest pieces of advice I've gotten in my career uh, freelancing was from somebody who was just being um, encouraging. And I was, I was kind of feeling discouraged. I was having a hard time finding an agent, um, which as, as a writer, you, you, know, you know how this goes. Um, right. It's kind of the same in, in, in voice work and in voice acting. Uh, you know, so I, was, I was kind of discouraged, having a hard time finding an agent. And I was talking to somebody who had been doing this job for years and was very successful at it. And she said, well, you know, you're doing really well in certain areas of your career. Uh, she said, you know, there's nothing wrong with building a niche. She said, what I think you need to do is take what you're doing really well and build that into a niche and just build that up. You know, worry about this other stuff later, but right now, take what you're doing really well and just keep doing really well at it and turn right, that into right. a job. That was excellent advice. Since I've started ghostwriting books, I've had all kinds of people approach me for other genres of books, but I've stuck with business because that's what I understand. And I've had people want me to help them with their memoirs. I've had people who, um, for some reason, there's a big category of people out there who have had some dreadful disease, and they want to write a book about that and share what they've learned about that and how they've made it through. I don't know anything about that stuff. And I've had people who want me to edit their fiction. I read a lot of fiction, but I'm not a fiction editor in any sense of the ima uh, imagination, so in any sense of the word. So I've stuck with my little niche of business books written by consultants who have businesses that they want to use the book to promote their business and have something to give to new clients and so forth. They're not in it to sell tens of thousands of books. They just want to have something that summarizes what they do and why it's important and how it helps uh, their clients. So that's my niche. And I think, I think that whoever gave you that advice gave you very good advice to figure it out. And there's all kinds of ways to slice up a lot of different career areas. And uh, the one thing I would say, though, is that uh, one pitfall that people can fall into is uh, not diversifying their client base. And that was one of the things that actually drove me out of the PR firm that I was at because we were doing 90% of our business was in promoting residential and commercial real estate in the city of Boston. So when the market started to fall in the late um, 1980s and then into the recession of the early 90s, that agency was in big, big trouble despite many of us sitting around the management table telling the boss who had founded the agency that we need to diversify, diversify, diversify. Uh, because if you're, you're sticking only with one industry and the, you hit the cycle of the uh, economy wrong, you can be in big, big trouble. But other than that, I, you know, there's, there's all kinds of writing and all kinds of speaking like you do and so forth that can be done within, within a certain niche. Uh, pretty much anybody who's even worked at a nine-to-five, I think, has had some experience with sort of that oversimplification of, of work. One of my first jobs out of college um, was for a corporate communications company, and we had one big client. Yeah, yeah. And when yeah. I quit, 
one of the reasons that I quit was, you know, we're not going to move forward. The, the bosses simply don't want to move beyond this client, and the client doesn't care about this company as, as, a, as an entity. Eventually, they're going to find somebody cheaper, and then this company's done. Right. I, I have a whole later, chapter in the book called "Putting Putting um, Your Eggs All Your Eggs in One Basket," and and people do make that mistake. I've always made it a rule. I've never had a client who represented more than about thirty or forty percent of my business, but I know I know people who are freelancing in public relations who have had one single client be eighty to ninety percent of their business. And then when something happened, they were starting all over again from scratch, and you just can't do that. Sometimes it looks very appealing and very easy because when you have a client like that who's so big, you can tell yourself, well, I don't need to go out and network. I've got this big client, and maybe they're paying you really well. And so the money is rolling in, and there's, there's a, um, a story in there about a dear, dear friend of mine who had that happen to her. And then one morning she gets a phone call, and lo and behold, that company that she's doing 80 to 90 percent of her business with, uh, the owners of that agreed over the weekend to sell the company to somebody else. And so she and I spent a lot of time burning up the phone wires and <laughs> deciding what might happen with this. And uh, it turned out that the, the company that bought the company that she had worked with kept her on as a freelancer for a year. But at the end of that, she was out. And... Um, and that left a big, big hole in her dance card where she was starting again from almost the beginning. And that's not something you want to let happen to you. It's almost like losing a job for the second time. Exactly, exactly, very much like that. Uh, so we're, we, you kind of segue nicely into my next question, actually, uh, uh, with, the, with the mentioning of, of that sort of not, not diversifying. You also mentioned burnout. Uh, what are some other kind of common pitfalls for somebody choosing to, uh, to, to live, live the freelance life? One of them is trying to be all things to all people. It's very easy, particularly when you're starting out. Somebody will offer you, ask you to do something, and you say to yourself, huh, that's not right in my wheelhouse, and sometimes it may be something that you've never even done before. And... Um, and that's not what you want to do um, because you probably won't do a good job, and that means you won't be able to continue with that client. Word will get around that you didn't do a good job. In most communities, the business community is shockingly small, and, and um, word just filters out that, okay, this person only did a so-so job for me. And that kind of thing. So you don't want to try to be all things to all people. What you do want to do, however, is to keep expanding your skills. And through education or through um, any kinds of mean, means that you can, maybe take on some volunteer work that would involve um, doing something like that. For example, let's take when websites started coming on and people, all kinds of people were writing website copy many of whom shouldn't have been writing website copy. I talk in the book about a friend of mine who came to me a few years ago and asked me to look at her website and give me her my opinion on it. And I had to write back to her and ask her who on earth had done this website for her because it was full of paragraphs that went on and on and on forever, and none of it was very clear. And um, I said, who wrote this for you, and did that person have any experience in writing websites? And she said, no, as a matter of fact, it was somebody who wrote some other kind of material normally, but she had, instead of approaching me, she knew I was in the throes of writing a couple books at that point, so she knew I couldn't help her. 
So she went to this other person who had done a miserable job for her, and her website had not been producing any results for, uh, I think it was about three years since this stuff had gone up onto it, mm. and she just wanted my opinion as to why. Well, I could have told her why. I told her why very shortly. That person who did that was trying to be all things to all people and taking on something that she didn't know how to do and hadn't, clearly hadn't studied. It doesn't take a lot to learn about how to write good website copy, that it should be very, the paragraphs should be short. It shouldn't, you know, go on. People shouldn't have to scroll through pages, pages, pages of stuff to get to the point. And, um, but a lot of people, uh, particularly when you... engine optimization. Yes, yes, all that kind of stuff. And the woman who had done this job just should not have taken that on. But she may, it wasn't somebody, often this happens with people who are just starting out and they think, well, I'll just take anything that comes my way, which one, leads to the burnout that I talked about before, and two, leads to less than optimum results both for you and for your client, and that's just not something you want to, to have uh, on, your, on your record. Uh, another problem is thinking that you can stop marketing. You can never, ever, ever stop marketing. You can never, ever stop networking. You have to always be out there and be in front of new people because you don't know when a client is going to defect from you. I had a client that I worked with for literally, um, it was either 23 or 24 years, when suddenly they decided they were not going to use any freelancers anymore. And I talk about this in the book because it was, it was heartbreaking to me. First of all, I considered the, the person um, to be a, a very close friend, and the way they did it was poor because they didn't tell us that they were not going to use freelancers anymore. So um, oh. it was a kind of situation where I often wouldn't have any work from them for two or three months. So when I didn't hear from them for two or three months, I didn't think anything of it. But then I would always get a bunch of work all at once, and I would do a lot of work over another two- or three-month period. And at the end of every year, I would look at my my earnings for the year and know that I had made thousands of dollars for that co- from that company. And, you know, you can get fat and lazy, as they say. So um, for reasons like that, so even if you think you have a, a lifetime um, arrangement with some company, you probably don't because stuff will happen. Uh, so you have to always keep marketing. Right. For a lot of freelancers, that's uh, even beginning the marketing is, is hard. <laughs> so, that's true. That's um, true. You know, many, get, many, getting into many, many people. That, oh, I have to market myself and network. Yes. Many people have been, if you've been in corporate jobs and so forth, many of them you've never had to put yourself forward with people. You've never had to learn to network. I had to learn to network. I am by nature somewhat of an introvert, and it can be difficult. But you have to set goals for yourself. Like I would go to networking meetings like the Chamber of Commerce or something like that, and I would put three business cards in a pocket in my suit jacket or something. And I would say, I'm not leaving here until I have given three people my card. So you have to play tricks on yourself like that. You have to, because otherwise you'll just stand in the corner with your glass of wine and your hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> Next thing you know, the meeting is over and you're gone, and you haven't accomplished anything. So you have to be very, you have to learn how to network for many people. Some people it does come naturally with, but I've, I don't think it comes naturally for the most, for the vast majority of people. Yeah, no, I, um, I, I, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm sort of naturally introverted. I, 
I, I'm comfortable talking to people, but I don't like to do it. So I, I've I've had to sort of do the same sort of thing where I have to trick myself or force myself to do something. Uh, I was right. out for coffee with my wife. And uh, my wife, who's very, very intelligent and knows business very well, she's in uh, human resources for a, a corporation out here, uh, she's the one who impressed on me, you know, you need to always be carrying your business cards. Right. Always. Keep in your wallet. You have a space for them. Keep your business cards on you. And uh, so I was out to coffee uh, with my wife, and I overheard a conversation uh, where a couple of guys in the uh, production industry were talking to each other. And, you know, I realized, you know, here's a couple of guys just, just talking, and they're potential clients. And so I did something I never, ever do, which is I just walked up to them as we were leaving, and I just said, hey, I just um, wanted to introduce myself really quickly. I, I overheard a snippets of your conversation, uh, and I handed them my business card told them what I do. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, you know, that was a very sort of out there thing for me to do personally, right. but it, it helped in this. Right, that, definitely. You know, it, it sort of cracked that thing <laughs> that, that held me back. Right, right. Excellent example. I mean, I'm always stunned when I say to somebody, do you have a business card? And they start searching and, and looking around. And, you know, women are going into their purse and going through all sorts of stuff, and it turns out they don't have a business card on them. And even somebody, some people early on, they say, oh, no, I haven't done that yet. Do not start freelancing. Do not start calling yourself a freelancer. Do not start calling yourself self-employed until you have a business card. To me, you're not even in the game yet. So, um, and, and, but many, many people have not, do not think about that. Another common pitfall that people don't think about is dealing with health issues. Very early on in my career, I was about three or four years in, and um, the retina tore in my left eye, and it was fairly serious. I had to go to Mass Eye and Ear in Boston and was in there for three or four days with surgery. And when I was going home, my doctor, my surgeon told me that I shouldn't work for a month, that I should just sit and be still and not do anything. And... I know probably the look on my face. I'm not sure if she was able to read it or not, but I was horrified <laughs> because, as I said before, I was single and I was self-employed, and I was in the middle of doing some big, a big uh, special event for a client, and there was just no way that I was going to not work for a month because, number one, no money would come in for a month if I didn't work, and, number two, medical bills were going to come in because I had, I had a good insurance. I've always been smart enough to have good insurance, but there was still going to be the, the, the deductible of several thousand dollars. So you have this fina double financial whammy of a health issue takes you. So I was working the next day. I was doing it from bed, but I was making my phone calls, and so I never I slowed down a little, but I couldn't slow down a lot and um, people need to think about that particularly if you have some kind of um, chronic uh, ailment this might not be the path that you want to go if, if you know that you're going to have um, and that it's almost certain because of that that illness that you have that you're going to have uh, periods come up every once in a while that you can't work I, I, I want to point out um, for, for the listeners uh, because it, it just it just occurred to me as you were talking that no oh, this is a chapter in the book um, yes, basically everything that we've been talking about really has a chapter in this book so uh, again the book is called the self employment survival guide proven strategies to succeed as your own boss and uh, each of these pitfalls that we're talking about sort of these strategies that we're talking about uh, if you're looking for more information if you think to yourself boy Gene Gene brought up a really good point I want to follow 
find more information about that. Uh, I can't recommend the book highly enough, so I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> that, that's well, it. thank you. And I, um, We had talked before about decisiveness. People, That's the first chapter in the book, and I want to point out that people can actually download that chapter for free if they go to succeedinginsmallbusiness.com. There's a button over on the right-hand side that will take them to a page that has more information about the book. And on that page, they will find a button where they can download that chapter for free. And they can get a uh, real sense of what the book is about and whether it would be helpful for them. Great. Um, now, we're going we're gonna to get a little bit more into that. We'll find out uh, where they can get the book in just a little bit. Um, just a couple more questions before we run out of time mm-hmm. here. Um, sort of as we're talking about pitfalls, one of, the, one of the things that didn't occur to me until maybe six months into my freelancing career was I had always sort of believed myself to be a solitary person. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of mentioned I'm, I'm sort of an introvert. Uh, yep. It didn't really occur to me how much being around other people meant to me until I was about six months into I no longer have a job where I'm in an office with other people who care about me. Yes. It is, it is the isolation uh, many people don't anticipate. Fortunately, these days, there's many more co-working kind of places that are opening up. We have some, I, I live in Durham, North Carolina, and we have a number of co-working places and there's a huge one that's going to move into an entire floor of a high-rise that's going to open up in downtown Durham so that you can um, have um, fairly low cost. Many people decide they're going to work from home because they think they can't afford to have an office or they just don't want that expense, and they have a nice office set up at home, so, so why should you spend that extra money? But if you get into this like you did and, and find, gosh, this is lonely here. <laughs> there are many more places now than there ever were in the past where you can go find yourself in a co-working situation. The other beautiful thing about those places are that you will meet a lot of people there who are in your same situation and who might very well need your services. So it can also be a, a strategy to help grow your uh, business and, and so forth. I always enjoyed working for home, from home. I like a lot of alone time, but there would be days when I would, let's say there was a day when I had no phone calls with clients and just my only um, interaction with anybody was through an email. And then if I wasn't going out and doing anything social that night, that would be an entire 24 hours when um, other than maybe meeting a neighbor in the hallway or something, uh, that would be the only social interpersonal action I had with another living person. So I, my strategy was I always went out at lunchtime, whether I went to the bank where everybody – I had an, a great bank when I um, – lived in eastern Massachusetts, everybody knew my name, and they'd say, hey, Jean, how are you doing today? And even that would be just enough to cheer me up. I would go to the post office. I would go grab lunch somewhere. Just get out and actually see other living people. (laughs) It's a big help. Um, And also, you know, have friends, other freelancers who you can go to breakfast with or you can go to lunch with or you can go grab coffee or drinks after work or something. And just, you know, you have to sometimes work. You don't, you don't think of about it this way in your normal life. When you, when you were um, working for somebody else, you never thought, well, how do I work people into my life? 
But when you're working alone from home, you actually have to have some strategies to do that, to take steps to combat the isolation. Right. One of the things that, um, again, I got great advice from my wife on this, um, is I'm trying to get into doing this more often, but once a week uh, I'll take my computer and I'll do any of my editing from the coffee shop. Right. Uh, right. Just so a lot I of people that do sort that. Of being around other people. Right. Um, so, one last uh, one last thing, and, and this is one of those things that um, uh, I've I've talked to a lot of people who get into freelancing or who want to get into freelancing. Uh, they cite the work life balance. You know, like you know, I want to be able to really control my own time and and uh, have more time with my family. Especially though, for starting out, how realistic is that? I don't think it's very realistic when you're starting out because I think it is different between when you're starting out and when you've been doing this a long while and you're confident that, you know, your cash flow is going to be uh, what you want it to be and so forth. But when you're starting out in particular, you're busy, 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 busy. And um, you have to be realistic about the number of hours you're actually going to bill versus the hours you have to spend on non-billable work, which is something that a lot of people who are starting out, they don't even think about the non-billable work. They don't think about the prospecting they have to do for new business. They don't think about the networking. Uh, you have to do your own bookkeeping or you hire somebody to do it. But even if you hire somebody to do it, you have to be giving them the information that they need and so forth. You have to be doing your marketing. You have to be doing, in this day and age, you have to be taking care of social media. So let's say you're somebody who worked in an agency of some sort, like graphic design, advertising, or public relations, or anything of that type. Uh, Previously, you probably were billable most of your time. And because somebody else at the agency, the, the head of the agency or the top top management and so forth, they were the ones who were going out and spending the non-billable hours to bring in work. But when you're on your own, you're in charge of all of that. So people are often unrealistic about the number of hours that they think they're going to be actually able to bill. So they base their, their decision on wh- how much they're going to charge on false information because they think, well, I can charge, let's, let's just toss out $100 an hour, and they think, well, I'm probably going to be, um, be billing like 30 hours a week like I did in my former job, so that's three grand a week. No, it's not going to be three grand a week because you have to do all of this other work, and you're not going to certainly right out the door gate when you start, you're not going to be billing anywhere close to 30 hours, and in fact, I'm not sure that I ever billed 30 hours. So you have to know how many hours, be realistic about how many hours you're going to be able to bill and base what you're able to charge on that uh, to figure out how you, you know, to get to the living that you want to do. So those first first while, it's your work-life balance is possibly going to be worse than it was when you were employed by somebody else and were going to work nine to five or increasingly nine to six or, you know, and having your boss email you at night and text you at night and so forth, which happens so much now. But if you succeed at what you're doing, you will get to a point where, yes, you can decide when you're going to go on vacation. You can decide how many holidays you're going to take. In the summer, I used to not work on Fridays. So, you know, I had a three-day weekend every all, all summer long and things like that. You can make those decisions, but not until you've really gotten your business to a stable point. Right. That, that, building, uh, that, that building time is so necessary. Yes. 
Um, yes. And I know, like, for the first year, uh, I would get up, and if I had a... Uh, if, if I had a client contact, because I, I have clients all over the world, so right. you know I've got clients who are working while I'm sleeping. Um, right, so do <laughs> if I. And if I wake up to use the bathroom and I've got a client message sitting on my phone, okay, right. now I'm going to be talking to my client. <laughs> yes, exactly. I wrote a website once for somebody in China, and that was the most that was the most bizarre thing because I would be having. Uh, phone calls with them at midnight or one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and fortunately, I'm a night person, so it worked okay for me. But it was just very strange. And then I have a client in Denmark. This is a, this is the wonders of the the modern world. I've never met this guy. He lives in Denmark. He travels all over the world. He comes to the United States regularly, but we've just never met. And he and I have written three books together. But hmm. he would want his phone calls to be sometimes a little earlier in, in the morning. I'm not a morning person, and he would want to talk at 8 in the morning, and I'm barely awake then. So, uh, <laughs> And then I would say, well, can't we talk at 3 in the afternoon? And he says, no, that's 8 o'clock at night here. I'm not going to do that. So <laughs> anyway, but that's, that's also the joys of, of the modern world, is you can, you can work with people all over. He's not the only person I've worked with that I've never met. I, I helped a guy in California with a book and a guy in Texas with a book, and I've never met any of them. Yeah, I, 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 sh- I would say most of my clients I've never met. Um, yeah. And it's, it's what I like to tell people. I am the, uh, I'm the unofficial voice for a cocktail lounge in the Ukraine. Uh, <laughs> um, I've, I've never actually been there, but... <laughs> Do you speak Ukrainian or whatever it is they speak there? I do not. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I'm the English language voice of the U. Of, of oh, okay. From the Ukraine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. Gene uh, Yoakum, the uh, the author of the Self Employment Survival Guide, proven strategies to succeed as your own boss. And uh, by the time this airs, which is uh, April 16th, the book will be officially out. Yes, it will be. It, it launches on April 8th on oh. on your favorite uh, book ordering yeah. websites. Yeah, uh, yeah, both Amazon and uh, and Barnes and Noble. Uh, right. And you can also find information on your website, correct? Right, right. Succeeding in smallbusiness. dot com. All right, and um, yeah, I, I, again, I cannot recommend the book highly enough. I've got it. I have quickly found it to be one of the best resources I have. <laughs> for fantastic. Uh, That's for I'm business. so glad to hear that. And uh, yeah, Gene, thank you so much for taking the time and talking with us today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Randy. I've enjoyed it. The Living Freelance Podcast. Business is personal. Coming up in two weeks on the Living Freelance Podcast, Nancy Van Brunt, Director of Freelancer Success for Upwork.com, joins us to talk work for higher trends, the benefits and challenges of online freelance platforms, and tips for making it in today's online economy. That's April 30th right here on the Living Freelance Podcast. If you have any questions or comments or you'd like to recommend a future guest, find us on Facebook at Living Freelance Podcast or livingfreelancepodcast.com. Thanks again to Gene Yoakum, today's guest, and to you for listening to the Living Freelance Podcast. The Living Freelance Podcast is hosted and produced by Randy Strew for Flame in the Dark Studios. Theme music is Checks for Free by Jason Shaw at audionautics.com. The Living Freelance Podcast is copyright 2018 to Randy Strew for Flame in the Dark Studios. Music